going to go on and that this this mm. this isn't you know this isn't the end it is it feels like the end though it feels like the end i can understand why you would feel that way um it was pretty funny but no but... it wasn't because, you know, <laughs> I, I picked this moment up in my whole life and then <laughs> to see it ripped away by a six foot six italian stallion who was really quite heartbreaking but if you have to lose to somebody though an italian stallion of that size yeah, I'd have preferred it to be Rocky, but he wasn't, he wasn't playing. Yeah, it's just Sylvester Stallone, I'd he'd probably try and shoot the ball or something. Yeah. Welcome back to 20 Good Minutes, everybody. <coughs> He's Dylan Shannon, I'm Ben Carr, and Z is just trying to, like, we've been here for four days. <laughs> He's just trying to talk <laughs> me through <laughs> the whole process of what's going on. Um, oh. I, I, feel, I feel numb. I feel sad. Uh, but actually, I've got quite a clear head. How are you, Z? I'm good. I, I've, I was worried that the entire fabric of British society, English society in particular, was going to just fall apart on Sunday. Uh, some, some of it has. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it has. that's fair enough. But the and we're going to get to that. But the the most impressive thing is just how unbelievably miserable fate <laughs> happened to make what happened on Sunday. Yeah, it wasn't. None of it was fun. Even the goal, it was like, oh wow, that shouldn't. That's a bit early. We all, <laughs> it went in. I was just like, oh, that's great, and I celebrated. And then there's sort of that five minute period where we don't touch the ball, having scored, and it's like, ah, oh, right, I see. We're now just defending a one 0 win from three minutes in, which is very as bold as a strategy. And we predicted this wrong, Z. We thought England would win, and England didn't win. But if you're just finding that out now, if you're using this as news, then I'm sorry to break it in such a blunt fashion. Yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> this is not a podcast meant to be used as news, I don't think, in any in any sense. Our timing on this sort of thing. No, but it took a couple of Happy days. Happy New Year, to, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like you ever see that Twitter account that's Internet Explorer, and it tweets things out like years after they happen. Like, wow, really happy for... Uh, Really happy for Kate uh, finally getting... <laughs> the wedding was beautiful. Like, I would have tweeted it last week. It's a great Twitter account. But it is impressive to me how miserable, like, it happened to be, right? Because you score early, and that's England's thing, right? You score early, and then you lose anyways. And so, you, of course, you score in the first couple minutes. And, what, I mean, what a goal that is. It's a fabulous it was, goal. It was perfect, mate. If it, yeah, if it, like he went with a five, there was a big there's a big conversation amongst fans really whether you play a four at the back system or go to the five that you played against Germany. And I I thought when it was all sort of on the table, I thought play the four, play those play what, what worked against Denmark basically. And if you need to set it back as a five occasionally, maybe you have Rice sit in, then that's fine, right? You can do that. But he went with the five, uh, went with the five off the bat, played Trippier, played short, and that's obviously where the goal comes from. It's the width in Italy did. A brilliant job of adjusting to that width really really quickly their midfield worked so hard like it was ridiculous um and then they managed to despite us having that five 
five at the back they managed to control the game for the entirety of it we just couldn't get it and when we did get it we weren't very good with it so it, it was I, I talked about it in I did, I did a video i don't know if people will be following the series on my youtube channel but i've done videos about the euro there's 17 videos on the euros and my big theme throughout was england's control and it wasn't necessarily a lack of control that this game got away from england because of that it was it was more the experience and i just think having chiellini having Bonucci, losing that final nine years ago to spain who completely dominated them completely like demoralized them and it's, it's taken italy a long time right italy haven't suddenly like been building up to this it's been like a big change with mancini and suddenly they are this powerhouse side of europe which feels like it's come out of absolutely nowhere and england still feel like they're on a bit more of a logical path but there was only you could tell after like 20 minutes even though we were one nil up it was like i feel like one team's gonna win this and i'm not gonna say that out loud <laughs> but it feels like that's gonna happen I will say that for the first 15 minutes, I don't agree that right after the goal, England fell off. For the first 15 minutes, I was like, oh <laughs> my God. Like England is playing better than I have ever seen them play. I mean, like the way and the confidence that England was moving the ball around with, the different, the various little skill moves that I mean, every, like Declan Rice was breaking out and did Calvin Phillips was running by people. Like it was... The first 10 to 15 minutes, I mean, should just be on a loop in the National Museum. It was the best I have ever seen an England team play. And then you could feel, one, the national anxiety going up. And two, you could feel the team go, okay, when's the game over? And, and yeah. it started to just fade over to Italy. By the time you got to the second half, the Italians looked like Spain playing Italy, like or anybody for that matter. But the the Italy just looked like Spain for the yeah, for the game. Words. It was yeah. It, it's it's what the game would have looked like had we played Spain. It was very weird. And I actually was looking at the benches of the two sides, and I, and that's I think arguably why I gave us the edge when we talked about it last time on the podcast. It was like if these two teams have to make changes at some stage. And it gets to this point then england's bench is stronger like on paper anyway like it's far stronger but italy made changes brought players on who again in theory are nowhere near as good but just grinded away at making sure they were in the game for as long as possible they get a pretty scrappy goal but in a final it, it literally doesn't matter how it goes in and then you got to that point sort of like 80 minutes in and it's like we are playing for penalties here. Like we've not had an attack. Harry, I don't think Harry Kane's had a shot. <laughs> like I don't think I don't think Kane had a shot in the whole game. And that to me tells the story. Sterling and Kane were shotless. So if you want any indication to how little England had of the ball, that's kind of the conversation. Luke Shaw had two, and one of them was a goal. So it kind of speaks volumes of how little England were in control, and and how how much Italy were in control. I think it ended. They had sixty five percent of the ball, and we didn't deserve to win right i think that's it's quite a sad way of looking at it reflectively but when when you lose like that it's nowhere near as bad as we're like it, it wasn't like we were hammering them and we've been sucker punched right i think that would have happened against someone like belgium for example like we might have had more of the ball against belgium but then they could have just hit us with one moment whereas with a team like italy it was like a boa constrictor they were just like tightening the grip constantly and by the end of it we just the pressure the pressure was too much like it was too big it of was. an occasion I think the first 15 minutes, Italy forgot, or no, Italy definitely was aware of everything going on, but it, England forgot what game they were playing. Yeah, And that's I'd why they, that, they, they were playing so confidently. And then the goal gave you this five to 10 minutes of euphoria, like this kind of, 
overflowing of enthusiasm and just emotion that the England players had. And they were playing with such confidence in Italy with the crowd and everything. They were overwhelmed. I mean, Wembley felt like it was about to explode. There were so many people in there. Oh, and was, well, yeah, we'll get to that. The, it, the, oh, the, it was an absolute madness. I mean, there was a sense that what you were watching was history while it was happening. And I, I love watching sporting events that are like that. But and I can't express to you how many Americans were watching it. I I got texts from, you know, I'm like the fountain of soccer knowledge for my friends where people that watch it just because it's, you know, it's that was primetime television in the U.S. was the Euro final. And people yeah. that are watching that are texting me like, who is this guy? Is he any good? Like th those sorts of like they were all watching it, too. And so this this was a just this massive experience. And then to score right away, I had to like rub my eyes. I wasn't even sure the ball had gone in. It was wild. And then they kind of, and I think because of how crazy the atmosphere was, it just felt like England realized we're in the lead in the final. And then that's when what we were talking about, where it just faded into Italy, where they were the only likely team to win by the time you got to extra time. And what was amazing to me is that the subs didn't come earlier. I I, th I know this is obviously the, the other point that we need to talk about at some point is this substitution strategy, right? He brought in a couple of guys for penalties, which I don't have a problem with. But this, the fact that, I, I mean, depth was an advantage for England, right? Like the bench, yeah. the England's bench houses Italy's bench. Eight games out of 10 would be my guess. I mean, like, look at Italy's bench and tell me how many of the guys on there you know. Like... You feel like an Italian team should be more famous than they are. I mean, this is not the, you know, this isn't your dad's Italy, right? This isn't the Italy that I grew up with. They're not as stacked with the huge names that are always just incredible players. And so their bench was, their bench was essentially just like a bunch of Serie A dudes that just turned up and, you know, like some dude plays for Sassuolo and he's just showing up and playing like that sort of what their bench was where on the England side, you're looking at, you know, champions league knockout level talent and somebody like Jaden Sancho or Marcus Rashford. I mean, these are very high level players coming off the bench for anybody. And he, they just didn't use them until too late. I think it's interesting because I think the, the Italian side, that was like the criticism pre tournament of Italy. It was like, Oh, they've got a brilliant team, but how good is like, where's the star? Do you know what I mean? Like, where's the star player? Is Immobile really the star player? Are the star players Benucci, Donnarumma and Chiellini? Like ultimately they are right in, yeah. this, in this sort of side. And I think you're right the, the players come off the bench are the kind of guys that people sign in football manager and think, Oh, these guys are great. They're almost like every player that came off the bench, like whether it be Locatelli or, Bale or uh, Bellotti or Berardi and these types of players that come off the bench, it's like, Oh yeah, I know him. I've signed him on the cheap before <laughs> the yeah. manager save. And for England, you're right. It does seem that way. I think the substitutions are really interesting because he started with a five and then when he brought Saka on he changed it to a four and that was on 70 minutes and what he did I think this is where he got it wrong and I think as much as the occasion got to England and I'm a huge Southgate fan I think I've made that pretty clear throughout the podcast and through videos and tweets over the last sort of four years actually pre pre the World Cup and this is where he got it wrong like this for the first time and it's gutting for him and of course he's going to learn from this moment but going to the four and playing Phillips at the base of Henderson and Mount it was at that point it didn't actually change anything I think that was the problem like he brought on Phillips who sat a little deeper and it still meant England was sort of sitting back and not able to press properly and what so I'd have, I'd have put Henderson next to Phillips have them play a little higher basically have England entirely play higher and put, put Mount on a Jorginho 
and have him sort of like almost sit there or have him and Kane sit either side of him and try and disrupt the flow of Italy's movement because Italy play the ball side to side in the same way that England do and there wasn't enough influence had from England's midfield so it looked like like Rice had some really good dribbles with the ball like it, there was like three or four times he drove with the ball and everyone looks at that and goes oh what a good game he's having but actually in the second half he had like a 57% pass completion uh Phillips didn't have a particularly good first half neither did Trippier neither did Walker that right side really struggled and it was like for, for as much as it's England in a final and for as much as they scored in the first two minutes it was England's worst first half performance and worst second half performance of the tournament like even worse than Scotland and Scotland was was horrendous but because we got the goal that sort of got forgotten about like because when you're in the lead it's like oh well we've got something to protect and against Scotland it was like we need something to protect and we weren't having anything Saka Saka's substitution like it, it looked when he made it like actually he should have started and he should have played the four with Saka playing pushed up a little higher and trusting Walker to, to be where he was because because the idea was within the system was we're going to stop Italy playing the way they want to play we're going to control Chiesa and we're going to control Insigne and they did to be fair like those two players had very little influence on the game and they both went off they're both knackered I dare say and those two players were shut down by 90 minutes like they, they there was nothing left for those players in the game but it didn't matter because the way their midfield controlled the ball and controlled the play and their fullbacks as well but despite not playing a five like there's been this theory z in the tournament that to control a game in the way that you do you either be spain or you play five and italy that's what was so impressive about italy was they did it with a four and two flyers in insignia and chiesa and that's what makes them so cool to watch and I think that's what people admire about them. Ultimately, it's gonna it's gonna be a tournament England look back on now, and a final more more importantly they look back on, and they will have regrets. And it's really sad. Again, it's sad. It's disappointing. But I'm not angry. There'll be some regret there. But I think that's good. Actually, I think if you're gonna have a final like that, you're gonna have regrets. You didn't give it everything, which is weird, isn't it? I don't know if you felt like that watching. That it felt like they didn't give everything. So there's more to give. And Southgate will learn from this, and Southgate has to evolve. We can talk about that in a minute. But yeah, as an Englishman, I was so proud of them getting there. I wasn't that proud of that performance, and I think that's, and I think they'll feel the same about it. I think there's a lot. Of, this is where all the fire Southgate stuff gets a little crazy, right? Is because what oh, that, that's, that's that's nonsense. Yeah, Just people like, oh, nip it in the bud. That's ridiculous. Like yeah. what he's done with this team is outrageous compared to where we were. What you what's important to understand about these tournaments is everybody is going to lose except for one team. Yeah. Right? Like Someone has to lose. Yeah, it, every single team. I mean, I get excited, right, when the, when the U.S. got to the round of 16 of the World Cup in 2014. It's like, I know we're going to lose eventually. Like, we're not going to win the whole thing. Like, I, you just, you're going to root like heck that it keeps going as long as it does. But everybody's going to lose except for one person. So you can't use the loss as like, well, you know, this is, I can't believe we lost this game. Like, it is really hard to get something right all the time. Yeah. What surprised? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, what, what surprised me here is I thought, based off of what I'd seen from England in every game and playing against Germany too, is like England is was well rehearsed in controlling games and keeping the ball. And I thought that this was a failure for Declan Rice in particular because what is he supposed to be if not the English version of a Jorginho? Right, of this guy that can be the release valve and be the kind of metronome, the beat of the team and settle things down. And Calvin Phillips to, is that to a lesser extent, but his job is obviously more in the hard-charging defensive category. I was 
I, I thought, look, Jorginho is better at that job than Declan Rice. I, I said if we didn't do a podcast before the final, we just kind of let it breathe. I'll let you have that experience, right? Because you never know when this sort of thing is going to come around again, right? And so you want to be able to just breathe those couple of days in. And the thing we talked about going into the semifinals was if it's Italy, England, that's the game where Declan Rice is going to prove that he's actually as good as a lot of people say he is. And I remember you saying, I really honestly don't, I think it went the opposite direction. I think what we look at now is Calvin Phillips on his day can do a lot of different things, but I don't think he's somebody that can be counted on to do a lot of different things in the midfield. I think he's important to the English midfield in a lot of ways. I think Mason Mount is somebody that despite the fact that he runs around a lot, seemed unable to get himself on the ball in an influential way as a midfielder. I think he played more like a forward out of the midfield. And Declan Rice just didn't play well. I think England, from a golden generation where their midfield had so many great players they couldn't even get them all on the field, has flipped to where now all of a sudden you're looking at the center backs and Stones and Maguire and going, these guys are great. You look at the fullbacks and uh, Trippier, who I think is one of the best right backs in the world, no question, and the same with Walker. Uh, for different reasons. And then you uh, Shaw and Chilwell are both top five left backs in the world. I think you get a really solid argument there. The defense is great. Pickford, when he puts an England shirt on, is everything you want in a national team, number one. Uh, he inspires confidence in the team. The attack, obviously, Harry Kane's a world-class center forward. And you got like eight different options of who you want to put on the wing. Where does England lose? It's the midfield, right? And I know Henderson wasn't 100%, but even if he's 100%, you're just missing that guy that can actually be progressive and dictate the game. It'll, it'll be interesting if in 18 months that's Jude Bellingham. Yeah. Right? And that's that that might be the guy. Like, you don't know, he'll be, he'll be what, 19? Coming on 19, then he'll be, he'll be pretty close anyway. Like, it's... He, he might be that, that generational talent that comes through and, and takes control of that. And I was calling for, like, a Henderson-Bellingham situation, but it might have been, like, too early for Jordan's fitness and too early for Jude's development, and it's just, like, not quite ready yet. I think I know the reaction because I've seen it. Like West Ham fans and Leeds fans will listen to this and they'll be they'll be fuming, <laughs> like because they'll, yeah, they'll yeah. think they'll think you're ignoring how good a tournament they've had. And when I was doing team selections, there was often times where I put Henderson ahead of Phillips, and it's not because I think Phillips is a bad player. I hate I hate this in football that you can't think one player is good without thinking that the player you're replacing him with is is terrible. It's like the Messi Ronaldo debate. You, if you think Messi's the best player in the world, you must not rape Cristiano Ronaldo. It's like no, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> and there is this this element, and you've only got to look at like the part, like the players you mentioned, right? So. And I've, I've, you know, this tournament. I've gone through a lot of the analytic, uh, analytics for this tournament. And Phillips, 70, uh, 77% pass completion. Rice, 76. Mount, 68. Henderson, 72. It didn't matter who was in there. Like, none of them were controlling it. When you look at Italy's side of the coin, you've got Jorginho, 96%. Locatelli, 100% of his passes have been completed. Barella, 81, which is a little bit lower, obviously, but and still he higher got, than he any English midfielder. You know, for not being yeah, good and, enough. Uh, and Verratti, 94%. Like, and this is before mentioning the fact that Chiellini's got 96 and Benucci's got 89. Like, their ability to keep the ball and frustrate and make England chase. And when there's only two players, right? Phillip, Phillips and Rice have an incredibly difficult situation on their hands playing three. Maybe not world-class, but certainly just in that like tier below world-class. And now they've won a tournament, maybe they'll be in that, that higher-level conversation. It's very difficult to control again the word control comes up again it's very difficult to control an italian team that are masters of it at this point and it just 
you're right it just felt like the quality wasn't there the experience certainly wasn't there like you could think Declan Rice plays for West Ham Phillips plays for Leeds without being disrespectful to those two sides this is this is a different animal I'd, playing in yeah. a final of European Championships like and, and that's where you need the experience of players that have been in Champions League finals and been in moments and succeeded in those moments and Italy have more of those players and Benucci and Chiellini are the pinnacle of that whereas England yes they've got some Champions League winners right they've got Henderson they've got the Chelsea boys more recently but it didn't feel like there was quite enough of that and and one player that actually really struggled in this game and has lost the Champions League final and has had a pretty great season while his team haven't is Harry Kane and I think that was the big thing for England fans is that I think a lot of them felt and I I certainly felt that if England were going to win Kane was going to be instrumental and the reality was that he wasn't we couldn't get him on the ball we couldn't get him involved when he was involved it was like winning a free kick and his hold up play was to be applauded but he was speeding off scraps the whole game and when you're not providing your world-class talent whether that be Sterling or Kane with the ball on a regular basis you're always going to end up with situations like this so again I think there'll be a lot of regret for England a lot of regret for Gav Southgate and hopefully a lot of regret for the fans of England as well <laughs> again we'll come to it but it's, yeah. it's a very it's a very somber but it's equally like I'm not I'm not angry about it I was tweeting after the game and people were like saying to me oh get off Twitter mate you seem really angry it's like no no, no you're not like I'm disappointed but I can understand that today we've lost to a better side and you made the, you made the point perfectly like 31 teams will not win this tournament it's, it's an incredibly difficult thing to do there are going to be 31 disappointed fan bases come the end of the tournament and sadly we were one of those and the, you know maybe it didn't on the surface right it didn't come home but if you're an England fan you know that it did so it, it, it's it's difficult yeah I mean for the Euros I think it's like 24 right it's 24 oh yeah teams sorry of course yeah so I've, got, I've gone I've got do you know what? I'm already 18 months I've, I've <laughs> gone in my mind <laughs> <laughs> right yeah sorry yeah, 20, 23 teams 23 teams don't make it through I'm, I'm, this I'm nice, laser you know, focused on that I'm, I'm watching Qatar's team play in the gold cup right now and those boys <laughs> those boys can play a little bit they're they're kind of fun to watch dude yeah, scored a Paninka well, penalty last night which was uh saucy from Qatar wow those YouTube tutorials have really come along <laughs> I'm, I'm pleased to see it my, my dad that, that's where it got funny was I saw my I was on the phone with my dad talking about the Qatar team before we wrap up England is uh he was like where do these guys come from that play for Qatar and I'm like well it's kind of half rich kids and then half dudes that just move to Qatar to play soccer <laughs> like, yeah that's, that. that's the national team um they, they were interesting to watch but on the on the, the England side of things I, something you mentioned a while ago that I think does actively hurt England is if this is the way you're gonna set up and it's gonna be one or both of Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips because you like what they bring to your team. The fact that those dudes play for West Ham and Leeds actively hurts the national team. I mean, even if their quality is not at that level, I mean, there is a very interesting statistic that was floated by TIFO Footballs, obviously a great YouTube channel that does a lot of analytics work. And it says that every team that has won a European championship and a World Cup in like the last 30 years, and this includes Greece, weirdly enough, mm. has been top five in Champions League players on their roster. Wow, interesting. In every single one, Greece was fifth the year they won it. So as much as you want to say the Greek team wasn't good enough, maybe they got a couple of Greeks teams in the Champions League that year. I don't know how that happened. They were fifth. And England, going into this Euros, was not top five. They were like sixth. Right, they're not. They aren't getting the same kind of experience and 
competitive spotlight that these top top teams are you know i guarantee you obviously that the italian national team was top five in that yeah. you'd be surprised if they weren't because they got a bunch of champions league guys all around them i think i think it's worth saying though though right like with with rice and phillips i don't i think i don't i don't want people to listen to this and think oh they're just hammering these two guys because they play for teams that aren't liverpool or chelsea or manchester united or whatever i think we're trying to take this game in isolation right and yes that's that's what's important about this it's like in these moments and i don't think anyone can can say england won't weren't overawed by the situation i think the it's funny isn't it all i heard all tournament was oh they get to play at wembley it's not fair they don't have to travel as much i think it's one of the factors that cost us the tournament like it cost us winning the tournament i think the pressure of the, the penalty shootout which i don't know if you want to talk about like the, the the moment of you are in wembley taking penalties to win a tournament for your country knowing it's not happened for 50 years like try and tell me that's not the most high pressure situation ever and if it was in a different country where you you aren't looking around at 60,000 nervous englishmen like mate that's it's it's it will never like it's mad that like and i can't ever state it enough unless it's a world cup final which i don't think is going to happen anytime soon at wembley stadium like it's the most high pressure situation an england footballer will ever be under in their careers and three players missed and i, I can't like I, I don't even blame them like it's such a moment in time that will be looked back on forever and i'm sure again they, they will look back with regret that they didn't score but i hope they're still proud of what they did over the tournament as, as most fans are i think the what struck me was after rashford missed you could hear it there was this yeah there was a feeling of oh yes there was this explosive enthusiasm right because harry kane is you know (laughs) bar the semi-final against denmark which obviously didn't bother him that much is essentially automatic from the penalty spot so you go ahead and check that one off and then italy misses the second penalty and at this point Wembley is a bonanza right and Harry Maguire hits a world-class penalty that I think he always deserves credit for because the guts it takes to elevate the ball in that situation it's crazy it's a crazy penalty it's a mad penalty right and then it's 2-1 and then here we are and then Italy scores and then all of a sudden Rashford comes up and it's still this loud I mean it isn't even a din it was a roar I mean there was this constant roar in the crowd and when Rashford stepped up and missed and to his he did everything right and just pushed it by like half a foot like he sent the keeper the wrong way it was everything he wanted to do and then just pushed it he's not looking at the ball that's the tricky thing about the way he took that penalty is he's actually looking at the keeper and never looks at the ball and um he just mishit it ever so slightly in the moment that ball hit the post i think the entire dynamic of not just the shootout but the stadium changed and there's a reason that the three straight people missed and that two straight people missed after Rashford is because Man. the collective life or death anxiety of well over 60,000 England fans in that ground. I mean, you, you, in a way that is very rare in history, I feel like you could have actually felt that in the air if you were in that building. It's palpable. It, yeah, it, is. It, it, it would have been palpable. I've I've been at a penalty shootout. It's funny. I've been at a penalty shootout at Wembley before. Um, it was it was Liverpool versus Cardiff, and uh, Liverpool missed two penalties. Charlie Ger- Stephen Gerrard and Charlie Adam missed their first two penalties. Who were like they were like the the, the for sure goal scorers in 2012, and then and Liverpool still won. But like you could and so I, I was sat in like the corporate end uh, of the Cardiff end, 
and there was a moment where uh, Cardiff missed their first penalty of the tournament of the shootout, and you could tell when Gerard had missed and when Adam had missed, there was this feeling of we're going to win this. And then as soon as they missed, like I felt that end of the ground go, oh no. And as a Liverpool fan, I'm thinking, oh yes, like, this is going to turn around here, like. I could kind of feel this happening. And then eventually, like, um, Steven Gerrard's cousin missed the deciding penalty for Cardiff, hit the post, and, uh, and, and Liverpool won. But, like, so, so again, that was a big moment for me personally. But in terms, again, to, to give you, like, the idea of the magnitude of the event, like, there's there will never be a bigger moment. And, you, and I think you're totally right. I think it was... The confidence was sucked out of that ground as soon as you missed the first penalty. Absolutely. And, look... You can you can talk about the takers and if they should have come off the bench and taken them and the selection of the players and people talk about Saka being nineteen. Look, ultimately, Gareth Southgate has trusted Rashford, Saka, and Sancho to take those penalties in the positions that he, that he's taken that he's chosen them based upon what he's seen over the last month of penalty taking, right? And and that, as he said afterwards, like that falls on him. Like he was right with Harry Kane, he was right with Maguire, and sometimes players miss. Harry Kane missed against Denmark. Jorginho. The penalty specialist missed in the shootout like you're gonna tell me because he's 29 and he was nervous and the sh- like mancini shouldn't have put the pressure on him like sometimes goalkeepers save penalties and sometimes footballers miss penalties and that's just the way football is and i wouldn't want it any other way right and and that that is arguably why we love the sport there's a 19 year old that was put in a position to win it i think that's what people forget right like if it goes another way Sancho can be the hero, Rashford can be the hero, Saka can be the hero, and Southgate, there, there may be an argument to say Southgate was willing to give those players that moment. And that's, again, that's football. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. And that again, that's why I can't look at it and be, I'm not angry with Gareth Southgate, I'm not angry with the players, as some people quite clearly are. There was a bigger picture here. England have gone from being a side that have been knocked out by Iceland in an international competition and embarrassed in front of the world to getting to a semi-final and losing to a good Croatia side and losing to an excellent Italy side in a final of a Euros. As an England fan, I've never experienced better. So to then be all like grumpy about it and sad about it, of course I'm, I'm disappointed. But what a ride, mate. What a ride. It, as I say, it's coming home isn't the idea of winning. It's the idea of having the hope of winning. And he gave us that he gave us that post germany we had it we rode it all the way through to the final and you know i'm fine (laughs) (laughs) i am fine but i am am fine that's the thing like i I trust that in 18 months this side's going to be better and he has to evolve as a manager like you can't have this amount of attacking talent and not make use of it like gareth southgate can't go into the world cup necessarily with this same attitude in knockout games if he wants to take it into the group stage and navigate his way through absolutely fine but beyond that there needs to be more from this England team. There needs, to, there needs to be a position where if they're in this position again, they dominate a final because they've got the players to do it and they will have the players to do it as we move forward. Harry Kane will be 29. Foden will be a couple of years older. Like these players that have got a lot of expectation on them and we mentioned Bellingham before. Like it's it's gonna it's exciting to be an England fan and I think that's something that Gareth Southgate has done brilliantly. He's made us care about a group of players who earn a lot of money, which was never the case before. Yeah, there is a serious serious chance at the next couple tournaments for England when you think about well you don't even need everybody to hit see that's the thing with being a U.S. national team fan is I need these guys to hit because we don't have like you know <laughs> I need to be the best ever. yeah I need Gio Reyna to <laughs> not like he needs to at some point go from this guy is going to be really good to actually being really good right like we don't have if we want to actually compete 
uh, and we want to win multiple gold cups and we want to be in the quarters or semifinals of a world cup at some point in my life or at least in some point in the next 15 years we need these dudes to hit because we don't have there's nobody coming off the bench for Gio Reyna that's going to be anywhere in the stratosphere of where he could be right or or Eunice Musa who plays for Valencia or Serginho Dest and Pulisic I think have kind of already hit but there's this whole collection of other guys that we that, that was basically one for every position and we need them to actually be good if you're England okay Phil Foden tails off you got Jaden Sancho or you know Rashford nah whatever he's he's kind of fallen off he's not in form anymore you got Grealish right who's who's yeah. gonna get a huge move to a club at some point in the next year or two I think um if he stays at Aston Villa I think he's never going to be a regular starter for England just that's just kind of the way that works because you can never be a one player that can drag a team that far and I, I think he would have to do a lot of work to drag Aston Villa that far even though they've you know them and West Ham have been a lot of fun but I am impressed like England you don't need everybody to hit that's like that's the thing you have so many different players with potential the one you probably need is the one you hit on. The one that has to be good is Bellingham. I think. Yeah, there's there's, there's pressure on him to start put like to, to become that player. And, and I guess if it's not Bellingham, it's the, the only player that's already there that you kind of rely on is Kane, right? That it's those two players that need to be on for England to really perform. And maybe maybe Pickford as well. Like there might be an element of that. But again, there are, there's enough in other areas. Like Pickford's plays excellently for England but we're, our, our keepers are very similar I think in actual quality like, I don't think there's a huge amount but like Bellingham could be one of the best like from what I've seen and it's a bold claim when he's just turned 18 he could be one of the best for me could be one of the best midfielders in the world like, and I won't I don't say that lightly about players I, would, I definitely don't say it lightly about England players like there's definitely the potential there and Kane's already there so you're right though the depth is crazy and as as an England fan seeing that and knowing it doesn't revolve around like one player necessarily it's actually quite a nice feeling to like to, to watch a team sort of mold and be shaped and become what it's becoming. It's I don't know. I kind I love it. <laughs> I'm I'm a big bigger fan of this than I am knowing the eleven pre-tournament. There was I don't know, I, I don't know if you you all know this, but uh, when we had Sven Goran Eriksson as manager, who former Manchester City manager, a Swedish guy that was. Do you know anything about Sven? Because it was quite a while ago now. Not not really. I know the name. Okay, but that's about it. Yeah, it was it was like this sort of almost like pragmatic Swedish guy that had been around Serie A and has been like all over the place and came to England. And was a was a media frenzy around him really because he was a bit of a uh, I'll call him a Lothario, but that might be a bit kind. Um, and he announced England's like eleven for the World Cup in like February <laughs> before the tournament <laughs> and said and said this will be my eleven, which not only like makes all of those players take their foot off the gas, it also pisses off the other twelve members of the squad as if like, all oh, right, well, I guess I've got a lot of work to do to get into a team that I've not been selected for in four months. Like and so, but now you're at a point where Gareth Southgate has come in. And he's upset people by not starting Sancho and Grealish and Foden, and being proven right which i think was the most important thing so we're in a really healthy position and it's yeah it's definitely not the same england that it was a few years ago absolutely very healthy position on the field uh we're gonna take a break and then come back and talk about literally everything else so i mentioned at the beginning of this podcast that i felt after the penalty was saved which it was look pickford's save against Jorginho, i consider just an absolutely remarkable save it was an it, it was better than any save donnarumma made 
uh, in terms of quality. It was a ridiculous save with everything on the line. He deserves a statue. I it was I but he's not going to get it because I lost the game, right? He makes this unbelievable save and then the announcer reminds me at some point in the next like 30 seconds right before Sokka takes the penalty because I'd forgotten. I'm like, "Oh my god, Pickford saved it. We're tied." You know, that like that's where my brain went was you know, I've seen two saves apiece. We are tied. And then Sokka comes up, and then the, I think it was Ian Dark goes, Sokka has to make this, and then he just runs up, and it's saved. And then everything that happened after that was this kind of utter chaos. I feel like in a lot of countries, you have very intense fans. I mean, the American Outlaws, which is the, you know, a lot of people don't know this, but at the, at the World Cup in 2014, the largest collection of foreign supporters was actually the Americans, and apparently they're incredibly annoying, and everybody hates them at the World Cups, which I will hope to be joining them in 2022 in Qatar doing that. Uh, but there are, in, 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 I know in Italy, the fans are incredibly passionate, and in Spain, they dance in waterfalls and, like, fountains in the middle of the town square, right? And so every nation has intense fans but there is some unrestrained element to english fandom whether it is this institutional inability to keep people out of a stadium so that wembley just got overrun at a certain point uh this i i think what it is is some sort of prerogative to not be too hard on the fans where in most countries you just kind of like just bring out the riot police like you know just like bring the dudes out with the shields and move them uh there and then after of course the penalty is saved this element this kind of violent and and i'm setting this up for you to just kind of go for a while this <laughs> element this element just snapped right and there were beaten up italians in the stands right you saw the videos kind of flying around online who knows where they came from when they came from but right people getting beat up in the stands uh the streets were like destroyed before the game actually started like there is just this collective insanity that goes into being you know and it happens in the u.s when we won the super bowl we were all downtown in the street but it was for like an hour right and then the cops rolled in got everybody off the street right you weren't able to like we, we threw a couple of street I, I didn't do this but i saw people throwing street signs into the river that runs through downtown tampa after we won the super bowl you know and it's like this kind of explosion of excitement and then after an hour we all just kind of went in the bars and had a good time because they cleaned the street off and that just doesn't seem like it it just doesn't de-escalate in england that way it's just not how it works yeah, there, there is there is there is passion and there is idiocy that doesn't i can't even comprehend at times um I mean, where do you want to, how do you want to break this down? Because there are so many elements right. to let's, this that it is, it is ridiculous. Let's start with the buildup and then get into the, the stuff that happened after. So just the general fan insanity, and then we can talk about what is essentially the race stuff. So what you, what you have initially, right? So, so you have people drinking from seven o'clock in the morning in London, in the capital, where there are nine million people, 10 million people. And it's the biggest event, sporting event that England have ever had, right? You can you can have, like in terms of like British events, you can have the Olympics and you can have Andy Murray doing well at Wimbledon as an example, right? And you can have the darts be quite raucous and things like this and maybe Cheltenham, which is the, the horse racing. And you can have those moments and they can be quite isolated incidents. And when you have England play, there is this national pride that exists and it overflows to some pretty ugly, some very ugly 
um, scenes at times. But you have situations where, like Leicester Square, which is where, for those that are unaware, that's where like the premieres of films happen. It's a like a film mecca, basically. Casinos around there, restaurants. It's 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 our Times Square. It's, it's the best way to look at it, right? And you have people drinking there, throwing bottles at each other, throwing them in the air needlessly, creating absolute chaos. And that is at like midday. The game doesn't kick off until 8, 8, 8 p.m. that evening. So you, then you have these drunk people making their way to Wembley, either with tickets or without tickets, wanting to be there, wanting to experience the atmosphere of Wembley. And for a lot of that, right, aside the violence, right, the excitement and the enjoyment and wanting to be part of the atmosphere and all of those things, you can kind of accept. There is there is two sides to this, that while the fans, and I'm talking strictly here about fans trying to get into the stadium, like, you, you as an FA and as the Metropolitan Police, and as Wembley Stadium, the staff of Wembley Stadium, have to know that in a game as big as this, your your security doesn't have to be tight. Your security doesn't have to be flawless. It has to be impeccable. It has to be to the point where not a single soul could make their way into Wembley without a ticket. And that clearly, and you think with COVID, like that would be even easier to do. The idea that there are fans rushing gates and forcing entry into the stadium, I've been to Wembley enough times, is insane to me especially when they've got to go through a covid like check as well to make sure they can get into the ground is insane to me there is there is an investigation into this not only from uefa but from the british government and from the fa and from wembley like that there's a huge investigation to how this breakdown because because i'll be honest this isn't being talked about enough right because fortunately no one was like no one was killed is the best way to is the best way to describe it if someone had died in this this is no longer like a civil dispute or civil investigation this is a criminal case and they they are lucky that that didn't happen they are lucky that the stadium was already not full because this would have probably happened anyway if it was a full stadium again there was enough interest around this there's a clip going around i'm sure i don't know if you've seen it a viral clip of um england fans beating up italian uh fans right which is not what the clip is for those those that know the reference there's a guy on the floor being kicked by like four guys I'll say quite bluntly, right, and I think a lot of England fans would feel like this. I don't know if you would personally feel like this, see. If I'd spent three grand on a ticket and I I see some little Jimmy trying to sprint in on a free ride to get into the stadium, I can't promise that if he ran past me, I wouldn't kick him in the face. Like, if I'd spent a year, like a, like a, I don't know, month's worth of earnings... And again, like this is these are like normal paying fans. Like UEFA set these prices at ridiculous levels to begin with, and then they're touted at even more like expenses. You are again, and this fall. This is why it's important. This falls on the Metropolitan Police and Wembley and the FA to make sure this never even gets to the point of in entry. Like, sorry, sorry, this is like a six-minute monologue. But like, so you're, you're you're creating this environment for yourself. So yes, England fans have acted deplorably, and and. In a perfect world, you don't have violence, right? But again, I can't say that. I, I don't know. I, I, your thoughts, E? Would you would you decide to lash a boot at someone I, if you see that happening? I think it's more of I would just trip them or something. Like, hey, well, that's like, what, that's what, what I mean. It's a doing? case of like, like how, how can you not want to be like, get the uh, out of this ground now? You are not supposed to be here. You've not paid for a ticket. Like, I spent four days trying to get a ticket, like hour on hour on hour, trying to get one, two tickets to go. 
and it's, it was impossible like for the semi-final as well like i had tickets in my basket i did it on stream for like 45 minutes i'd get like new tickets that would become available i'd put them in a basket i'd hit process and the process would fail i did that for, i did that for two hours <laughs> on stream and i did it for like six hours off stream and it was like okay i guess i'm not getting a ticket for this and the final was just like even harder it was impossible basically you had to have bought them like m weeks in advance pretty much so you had this so what i'm getting at is right you create this toxic environment especially so so bringing it back to the saka miss right when he misses you have sixty thousand people that have paid through the nose to be there and they so the, so the disappointment and anger having been drinking at the ground and been drinking from eight o'clock then spills onto the streets right and then 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 you have a problem which is like how did you not see this coming? <laughs> like that's, that's what, what I, I did, about this is like... the part of this that I don't understand. Like there's a lot in human nature where at a certain point after drinking enough, you just kind of become a cow almost. And so, and what I mean by that is you can be herded, right? You can be you can yeah. be pointed in one direction or in the other direction. And this is specifically for just this kind of drunken violence that was going on. And what shocks me cuz like obviously the United States is an over militarized state. I mean, I think that's something that a, a lot of and basically everybody is aware of. But when you go to a Tampa Bay Buccaneers game, right, and this is the size of Wembley, essentially, there are over 70,000 people there. And you're walking around towards the gate. There are four dudes at every gate standing there in full combat gear with assault rifles that they never use. Right, but this is like the, you know, there nobody's ever nobody's storming gates in the U.S. Right, it's like a pretty, this, it's a pretty good deterrent. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's yeah, exactly. Like yeah. you're you, even if you're rip roaring drunk, you look at that guy and you're right. All right, boys, we're going to watch this. <laughs> like, we're going, like it's a bad idea, we'll find the bar. Bill. We'll this find is the a bar. bad idea. Like we're not doing this. Like in in I honestly for the life of me cannot think of a time where gates have been stormed in the United States. What happens sometimes is you storm the field, right, after a big win, but that's something that a lot of institutions, especially in college, will allow. It's like this great fun, you know, you storm the court after a huge win. But you just don't, what, I, what blows my mind is, look, even if you don't want your society to be like that most of the time, and I totally understand that, when you are talking about a European championship final, which is one of... I mean, in the year that it happens, might just be the biggest single physical sporting event on the planet, making it a target for everything and a huge security liability. How, like, you need to get people there that can stop this from happening. I mean, like, you've got, you're, it's, it's a bona fide postmodern first world country, obviously. You've got every single branch of different government agencies and military that you have access to to make sure that everybody is safe while that is going on. And the fact that, I mean, this wasn't some sort of coordinated operation. This was a bunch of drunk people that were like, well, I want to go to the game. And they got in. How, like, that, it blows my mind. That, that that like from the sporting culture in my every sporting experience I've ever had in my life going to stadiums and I mean we get you, you know I'm sure it's a very similar experience but wanded up and down where's your ticket there's three different gates we got to walk through all three like it blows my mind that this is possible 
in, you know, like the English championship, let alone the biggest sporting event of the year anywhere in the world. It, that it just blew my mind. Yeah, and like I'd, I'd like to think it goes without saying, but it probably doesn't. So the people that yeah. are people that are beating up Denmark fans, or people that are beating up Italian fans, or are be basically picking up anybody, like it doesn't really matter where they're from. Those people, these those people are idiots, right? And I'm, I'm the conversation we're having right now does not involve what happened later on social media, or say later instantly on social media, which we'll we'll come on to, like. The, the, this is the situation at hand is not being handled properly there's a reason there's an investigation right and it's so sad that after such a tournament and such a moment and such a togetherness that is felt by the fans and the players and that you heard about it all week all week the run-up like the fans are going to play a major part and it's sad that the major part they played is embarrassing our country beyond belief making sure that there's no way we get the world cup in 2030 there's like it's just not happening now like and we shouldn't have it and that's sad that no. england fans now feel like there's enough sensible england fans and remember in these situations as much as much as like it is england fans it's a minority of england fans the majority of england fans feel like i do they feel these people like are the the stupidest people that are to a degree right they're not even football fans at that point they are drunk people at a football match like they are not being they're not there's no logic there's no thought going into any of this stuff like they're just caught up in the moment and they and right because there aren't guys with ar-15s like they are more stupid and think they can do whatever they want and there's this idea of being untouchable and oh we're english we'll do what we like yeah you, you're, you're fucking idiots boys like I, I, there's no other way of putting it like eventually they'll grow up or if they're beyond the age of 40 it's probably done it's probably done at this point um what happened afterwards on social media and the racism that's been suffered by notably most notably by Jaden Sancho, Marcus Rashford and uh, Bakara Sacco is is do you want know the worst bit is he and I'm sure you know what I'm going to say I was not even slightly surprised oh not at all and that, he, he, and I that have is a, the, I like, a... I, like it's it's I hate to make this, I'm not trying to make this podcast political, so I hope it was this thing thinking, oh, bloody hell, where's this going? But it's like when a gun shooting happens in America, there's this element in England now of, oh, of course it has. And when players are racially abused online for a sporting event, I have the exact same numbness that I have when it comes to things like that. And I, I, I know it's coming. And for some people, when those players miss those penalties, the disappointment of missing and losing is completely overtaken by the expectation of the fact they're going to be racially abused by people that are subhuman like they they are they don't they don't deserve to be on social media they don't deserve that platform they should be interrogated by these social media platforms and should be punished and found culpable and that is not happening and that is the wider conversation around this right there there is there is, we're not be, to say that we're beyond the point of fixing it is to admit defeat right and you have to find a way to educate and to bring these people to to 2021 unfortunately I, I personally surround myself in plenty of circles that this type of abuse and this type of conversation never even comes into our brains never mind becomes something that we're having to tell people to not do do you know what I mean like that's I'm sure it goes for your stream chat as much as it goes for my comment section as it goes for the people that follow me on Twitter like I have a zero tolerance to this and I like to, I'd like to think in fact I'll say it blatantly if you don't have a zero tolerance tolerance with this stop listening to this podcast I don't want you listening to this podcast I don't want you anywhere near anything I do I'm sure I'd like to think <laughs> he echoes that <laughs> but, but like I don't yeah, no, like, it's, I, it's, it, it's beyond reproach for some of these people as well it's so it's so mind-numbingly stupid like go on I, I could go on forever so I'm gonna stop no, I know I, I think what what amazes me the most is 
I approach this from from a historical perspective, right? That's the way my brain works. I provide context for things for myself and then to help other people understand things. About, I want to say 15,000 years ago, there was a bottleneck in human evolution, right? I'm, I'm literally going to nip this in the bud right now. There was a bottleneck in human evolution. Uh, there were less than like 100,000 humans left. I don't know the exact number. My brother's an anthropology major and he tells me about this all the time. He knows the exact numbers. There was a bottleneck. And coming out of that bottleneck 15,000 years ago was a species that is so similar, no matter where in the world they come from, that it is indistinguishable. I mean, you're talking about like, if you buy two parakeets from the pet store, there's a solid chance that those two parakeets are much more genetically different than any two people from any group of like human beings that you want to find. That That is all like, you know, historical record and understood, right? What amazes me is this idea that you can look at another person and assume that their brain is working any differently than yours or that their motivations or their human desires. Or, I mean, factually, there's a bottleneck in evolution. We're not different from each other at all, right? We're working with the exact same equipment, the exact same firepower, right? There were very, very slight physical differentiations between people that are from different areas, but there's nothing to do with their capacity as a human being. So something that just always amazes me is how anybody could look at somebody and be like, well, you know, they're like, I don't know, insert whatever racist terminology you want to insert into there. They're, they're blank. Yeah. Right. And it, I, what I think also contributes to this is the echo chamber of social media. I think especially growing up in my generation, I, I think a big contributing factor is people are very, very uncomfortable with, and this is also an evolutionary thing. They're uncomfortable with things that they don't understand. And you hear people say that all the time, right? And a lot of people that go into Bakayo Saka's comments and just get racist in there and because they're just upset about losing the final and they want to take it out on somebody and that's the way they know how to take it out. They don't they don't know anybody like Bukayo Saka. Right? They don't know somebody with a name. I mean that you you wish it was less vain than this, but honestly the fact that his name is Bukayo Saka draws a lot more of that to him. If his name was John Smith, it would draw a lot less to him. Do you know what? like it, the way it's studied. Wanna, it's Sorry, see, I want to jump in, right? I want to jump yeah, in because go. Like I, I actually think I think part I think I think part of what you're saying there is absolutely correct, right? But I think there is this problem with social media, and I think you're right. There is there is an element of an echo chamber to it that actually some of these people are going to those profiles because there is there's many factors to this. One, they will get away with it through through anonymity. Like oh, they, absolutely. Uh, They're not and, worried about retribution at all. But no. e but equally, they know because social media is now a matter of attention. Who's getting the attention? Where is the attention? Like, they, they, social media platforms, whether it be YouTube, Twitter, whatever it is, are built upon who is getting the most attention and how can I get some of that, right? So there are there, a lot of these like racist people will be like mindless teenagers a lot of the time yes. who are con and this is this is this is the key word for me they are consciously being racist to him because they know 
that's then that's their evening sorted like they've got so little else going on that they will consciously make this decision because they know through numbers of anonymity of anonymity they, they will not be prosecuted there will be no retribution like they and and they will get the attention of people they will make people furious and we have built a system online that caters to that and that that to me is the problem like whether Absolutely. you want id cards or you want people and, and yes i I've, I've seen the arguments against but the system we have right now is not working and through educating people through through social media is clearly going to be one of the ways in which you you fight this systemic problem that exists through society whether you're old or young right you, you can, I, I don't think only teenagers with nothing to do are being racist right i think there is a there's a a culture war oh no yeah if i if i can like right, stepping I mean, yeah. back in yeah no, please was, do. Uh, just something that I feel like we need to specify. We're we're picking at why this becomes such a problem on social media. Look, there is a segment of the population that is just actually racist. They know people like Bakayo Saka, and they are and they're and they're not these teenagers just on social media. There is a segment of the population that are racist, and that's just who they are. That's how they were raised. That's that's, that's it, what man. they that's what they believe, and those people are a huge problem. That's not necessarily what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is this other collection of people that I I want to call them edge lords. I mean that they they come flying in with this because uh, and I and I I have had these people follow me and message me about different issues because uh, I obviously the United States has had its issues with race and I'll talk about it on stream and I'll get messages from people and and I have no problem being mean to people that have these sorts of belief systems. So, I mean, they look like the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. You know, they're like 15 years old, right? They look like a muffin. And they they send you this message and they're like, you know, expletive, expletive, how could you say this about this? Like, I, it's this next generation that we need to save, yeah. right? And, and I, I don't, there's a lot of different ways to do that. The U.S. has never at least in my opinion, the huge, huge cultural shift would have to happen to start persecuting people for what's said on social media. But England has a chance to actually address it, I think. And we'll see what happens. I mean, that obviously goes down to political machinations. But I think what is encouraging out of this is that that night, it was awful. It was ugly. The The actually racist segment of the population was defaming uh, monuments and making really racist comments and then th this other collection of like i want to say like quasi-racist people that are they're edgelords and they're looking for something to do on their weekend night and they like the attention they were going nuts the next morning that is, what happened the next morning i think is what can is actually what can be on the front line of changing this and that is every single person to a man basically standing there and saying no like this is ridiculous we love these guys. They did a ton for our country. Leave them alone and also go f yourself. Yeah, we're, we're at a point where if it doesn't happen, like, what the saddest bit for me, like gen genuine like sadness is like, why does it take a moment like this to, to, for there to be changed? Like, I know that the, like, <laughs> these types of moments obviously force this kind of moment like that. that that's that happens throughout history. But we're at a point now where the people that some of the people that have been racist towards these players will just like carry on being racist like there's again there's there's no real action from social media companies you hear the prime ministers or the presidents of countries come out and say oh well i've spoke to facebook and instagram it's like well great like these these social media companies 
for me, have a, have a responsibility to the fact that they make millions and billions, hire more people, like focus in on mass attacks like this on players. Like you're not gonna, the, the problem is right, you're not going to stop it. And, and this is because it's become too big. Like the issue is now so big that I, that I actually don't know how, like as much as I sit here and go, oh, well, if the social media companies just sort it out, everything will be fine. Like, I don't, I don't know what the approach is other than making- I don't either. I don't other, have a solution. Other, literally other than blanking, blanket ID banning people and finding out who these people are and prosecuting them to prevent this being said. And eventually you'd like to, you'd like to think that you'd like to think that societally, like it will be phased out is like the big dream right, of, of something that will happen. It will take generations. Like by the time I'm 60 and that my son is 30, I suspect I, my, my fear is he will still be having these conversations. Like there's been a shift in the last, last 30 years, I would say through it, like being almost like an underground thought that's continued to exist, but has been stemmed through the fact that people couldn't say anything whenever they wanted. So it now being highlighted to such an extreme on social media that it's now being done like in some sort of weird popularity contest type way. Ultimately, like it's so far from acceptable. And I repeat that if you are even having a thought of racism in my presence or listening to this podcast, do not interact with anything I ever do. Like I've not, and I think that goes for almost every, almost every content creator. I'll give them credit. Every content creator on, on, on platforms, whether it be Spotify or YouTube or Twitter, or wherever it would be. Like we, we, there has to be a point where we have to speak out about this and I don't again I don't know what the end point is but my word if this isn't the start point for the British government and for these major corporations then what do you want to happen like what like I feel like there's been enough go on in the last five years that it should have already happened but where do, where do you want to go with this this I'm getting to the point of like again it's it's this numb feeling is not a feeling I want uh, and it needs it needs to change and what's like again me being a history major i can point out all the different ways that it's well in the last hundred years we've taken but, but that's this there was a con happening, right Doesn't yeah matter. there was this, this was what uh martin luther king jr right obviously an incredibly prevalent uh person in the history of racial justice uh that this was the sort of thing that he always said is people even as kind of segregation was ending, they would go, well, why are you stirring up so much about this now? It's gonna change eventually. And he's like, I don't want it to change eventually. It shouldn't be happening now, right? And that's kind of the same <laughs> idea as I can point to all these things where, well, eventually it's gonna be okay. Well, no, none of these people should be, nobody should be saying this now. Nobody should be like berated just because of the color, literally the color of their skin because it, like it just becomes so much worse and in case you think this is something that like two pasty white dudes on a podcast have brought up the first text i got after Saka missed the penalty is from my friend his name's carl jones he, he is black he played on the syracuse football team he was in my graduate program he does not watch soccer but i got him into it during the euros because we were all trapped in the same newsroom and so he watched the final and then he said uh the first message after Saka misses the penalty is why did it have to be three black players in a row? He knew what was going to happen the moment he saw it happen and sent the text to me. And I was like, yeah, you're right. This is going to be a problem. And then, and then it was. And this just brings it full circle to what you said at the beginning. Like, it's sad that you knew that this was going to happen. And if you can anticipate something happening like that, you need to be able to take steps to stop it.
yeah what what like on, on a base level right why don't instagram wait like it's one of the biggest events happening in the world at that moment why don't instagram have 400 people looking at his instagram profile and banning every single racist message they see over the course of the first five hour period and then see how many people are no longer on your platform that are would be racist like I, I know that sounds really basic but like that should be the minimum to me like have have these people trawl through the, these profiles and as you see it happen remove it immediately you are multi-billion dollar corporations like the excuse for me of like oh well you know it's hard it's hard to stop it's like do something then because because your current like auto implementation or user-based reporting system is is failing it's not not enough is being done and, and these people keep coming up and it keeps happening and i feel like as someone that's never been a victim of racist abuse like i've i've got to keep talking about it i've got to try, i've got to make sure that at least the least i can do is make sure that my audience know that it's not even remotely tolerated like it's very difficult to know what it's like to be racially abused but equally like as you say the my first not my, maybe, maybe my first thought was this is going to be like this, this is this is going to happen now and this is what the next two days are going to be because we can't account for the the scum of our society it's very like it's, it's very demoralizing in a moment that should have been like no matter who wins it should be celebrated as like this historic sporting event and here we are spending 25 minutes talking about these idiots like it's so sad yeah we just spent, so we just sad. spent half the podcast and look look what i hope this comes off as is two dudes trying to reconcile this obviously ben and i have our own like backgrounds i'm always going to lean into the history and anthropology part of it ben has grown up in england and obviously is able to relate to it in that way but we're in no way experts on this it's just I, you're right in that you just got to keep talking about it how can we not talk you about have it to keep, you, you, know you, mean? How, how, can, how could you how could we talk about the final and not talk about this it, it should be it'd be impossible it's too it's too big like and, and, it, and, it, and it's too big no matter how small the the attack would be but when it's done at this such like such a high profile level to three players who are simply missing a spot kick for their national side the like, it, it is i know it's more important than life and death and all those interesting like you know intense music quotes or whatever they missed a penalty in a yeah. game and and like, and not, not, it's never justified but like this is uh, it, it, it i said beggars belief so yeah I hope, hopefully people take something from this again I, like the, the reality is and I'll be quite like open about it I don't know if I'm saying the right things like I don't I don't know if what I'm saying has an effect but I think I prefer this to saying nothing like, and, and that's not oh, it's a lot better than saying nothing. yeah and that's and that's that's the alternative probably that we keep this a football podcast but I think hopefully people have realized over the course of however long we've been producing this that these conversations matter and they have to be talked about and this conversation can't just stop once the new premier league season starts and we will just go oh well remember that that happened oh it's going to happen again because like like black black players are going to make mistakes in football matches and they will be racially <gasps> online for it and that can't become a norm so uh, again ho hopefully conversations that are happening between political leaders and be uh, between powerhouses of social media or the internet basically like no my social media that hopefully that will that'll bring about some forcible change that can see this be tackled properly and you know right now it's not, I, not uh, yeah this, just stop booing people taking the knee you're wondering why they're doing it this is why they're doing it <laughs> i mean 
if their argument wasn't strong now, it's it's pretty. It yeah, wasn't strong before. It's literally strong have now. Like, it's a freaking front of the national media thing to point to about this. Um, but to lighten up the mood, we had something planned for the end of this podcast today. <laughs> this is and... the, we've done some weird transitional links before. This is up there. Yeah, well, there there is no natural transition. I uh, but. We'll, we'll leave you with a smile on your face, see? That's the, I think that's the plan here. We're going to leave people yeah, with a smile yeah. on their face. As we'll gonna, leave people with a smile. I'm going to... Right, okay. so from my perspective, I'm going to commentate on Zeal and Shannon bungee jumping. <laughs> <laughs> because you said the sentence to me before that, like, you you uh, you have a brother who... I was going to say, I'll lay, I'll lay this down. So the way, the way we got onto this is we were talking about, well should we talk about race and right i don't bring this up in these conversations normally because it really it shouldn't be like it shouldn't be relevant but i have an adopted brother who is black right and so i one i talk about this sort of stuff a lot to keep it alive and in front of people because i have to deal with it with my brother uh, but then we also are talking about you know he was adopted when i was in high school so I'm having, you can pick it up from there, like you how say, we ended up on yeah. budget. And he went, well, you know, typical, you know, my family, he's, you know, a few weeks later, he's bungee jumping in New Zealand. And you said it in like the most casual way. It's like, I'm like, hang on a minute. He's done what? He's suddenly just <laughs> bungee, like that's not normal for, for, <laughs> for me. So um, we then got into the conversation of the fact that, oh yeah, I've got footage of me bungee jumping and I want to see it. So what we're going to do now, listeners, and obviously you can't see this, but I'm hoping that over the over the years of me commentating over visual things, I'm going to be able to do this justice. Uh, so you're going, to, you're going to bring this up, and I'm going to I'm going to talk over it, and we're going to see just how exciting this video really is because I'm expecting drama. You're expecting drama, you say? Yes. Are you doing it now? Have you just jumped? <laughs> what? What's going on? No. I, I had the I had the stupid little dongle and now I can't find the dumb little dongle that it's on. We had it all we had it all ready the entire time. We prepared we, we knew what we what we were gonna talk about, one and then two, and then we're gonna watch me jump off a stupid bridge. And now I can't find the freaking the, the thing. I just couldn't hear anything. I was like, hey, he's, where's he gone? He's jumped. No no this is I'm wondering be... yeah, I'm wandering around. This is gonna be great. It's, would you would you ever bungee jump then? No, I pro one I probably exceed the weight limit at this point, so probably not. But um, no, I don't, even in my younger years, it's not something like I don't mind roller coasters. That's as far that's that's as, as extreme as things get for me, I think. But no, I, I wouldn't bungee jump. I don't think it's worth it. Like you know, go on aeroplanes. That's the same, but without the bit without the bungee or the jump. <laughs> I guess it's not the same at all, is it? Um, no, I wouldn't bungee jump. I've got no inclination to, to put my... And I know it's safe, and I know loads of people do it, but I, again, I don't, I don't like... Basically, I don't like horror films, and to me, bungee jumping is just like the, the literal representation of a it's horror film. It's a horror film. film for you? Yeah, I don't okay. want it. I just don't want, a part, don't want any part of it. Well, I have, uh, I have the video. Oh, I sure wonder. Okay, well, we've, we've, you know, we've, we've really bigged this off at this point. So... I actually, I literally, I literally just found it on my computer right after it? I plugged the dongle. It's not, it's not long. Okay, it's two it's minutes thirteen. I'm, I'm seeing that. Right, excellent. Hey, how can you see the time? I can't even. <laughs> this is, this is the video. Okay, so you see it, uh, right? Where is it? Where is this place? It's Kawaru. This is, this is the Kawaru bungee jump in, in New Zealand. Okay. It's in Queenstown, New Zealand, which is South Island. 
Right. So that's the bridge. That's this is the bridge I'm going to be jumping on. You can take it away from me. That is not a that. That's made out of copper. That's going to rust, in my opinion. It looks like it's rusted already. There's there's three guys on the edge there that are the most casual guys. I think you could ever come across. My word. Oh, there's you (laughs) in your stripy green jumper and your jeans. Nike trainers for those wondering. You know. He's doing all right for himself. He's, you, know what, you look very calm for a man that's about to jump off. Look at you doing the whole sort of, it's like, oh, it's, it's like Conor McGregor's about to jump. He's doing thumbs up at the camera. How many cameras well, are there? Was this live I'm on TV out. in New Zealand? I'm a, a man out. called Zealand is bungee jumping. We must, we must document this. You're looking for, he's holding the back of you. You just jumped. There's no fear there. Oh, I mean, you jump. there's water below. I'd rather it be like a pit of sharks. Would you have been as confident then? I don't think so. Oh, well, you know what they ask you when you walk up to the top, you walk out on the bridge. Yeah. Is they go, well, do you want to touch the water? Oh. And I'm like, I'm like, hell no, I don't want to touch the water. I'm just, just watching, there's a slow motion replay uh, they've put together. <laughs> that it's quite a good release. Do you not get a head rush from bungee jumping? Does, not, does all the blood like flow to your head? Uh, you do. I, oh, I don't horrible. remember most of the jump itself now while i may have looked nice and calm giving a thumbs up to the camera Were i was not? freaking out Were you uh, really? I, I, I'm, oh i mean come on is it the bridge this? Like, the bridge looks horrible <laughs> the bridge was a little it, it, it was shaky i will give the bridge that it was shaky. <laughs> forget it forget it I'll drop no i'm out if, yeah, I'm walk, then, if i'm going to bungee jump and i step on the bridge and it rickets like i'm done that's that's what he done thank you very much <laughs> what are you doing now sorry the video is continuing you're being lowered onto uh, <laughs> they've got a massive like pole vault that they're using to try and bring you down onto yeah, a rubber you, dinghy you, well, I mean, you're dangling upside down, and so they come out with this giant PVC pipe. Oh, that's that's the most American thing ever. Yeah. And they and they yeah they they bring it out, and uh, you grab the PVC pipe, and they pull you into like a dinghy, yeah. and then motor you over to the side yeah. of the canyon. Just just so people are aware, he gives it the the classic American. This is he gives it the double piece sign as he drops. <laughs> Honestly, do me a favour. <laughs> oh dear. You, you, look like, oh, I honest, you look like you enjoyed it, but yeah, you're not. You don't look as happy at the bottom as you were when you jumped off no, the top. No, no, no. I was. Uh, it was. It was. It was fun. I will say that jumping out of a plane is a lot less scary <laughs> than no, jumping. What are you talking about? Listeners? No, it is. It, I've I've done both. Right. I like to. You know. I, I I've gone caving and I, I, all these different things. I try and bite off as much adventure as I can chew, and. I will be honest, there is something about the immediate threat of death that makes the bungee jump just terrifying. Where jumping out of a plane is like this dull roar of nerves because you're just nervous all day. The bungee jumping is when you get out to that edge and there's some way too cool New Zealand guy behind you who's just like, all right, mate, three, two, one, on you go. And you're just like, really? Now? Are you serious? And you... Because you, even when you're jumping out of a plane, you have something to hold on to. I think this is something that really struck me. Sorry, pardon? When you're jumping out of a plane, like, and you're doing the, like, you're, you know, you're, par- you're skydiving, you're parachuting. Yeah. You are, you're holding on to the harness, right? When you're, like, oh. you, you, you go out of the plane. When you bungee jump, and I did, like, a swan dive, you there's did. nothing, did, yeah. there's, there's nothing to hold on to. You're just oh, falling. No, but that's I, not, I that can't have been a surprise. It's not, but it is a surprise in the sense that by the, like, when you're actually falling through the air, my hands, like, grabbed, like, trying to grab something to hold on to, like, is some sort of natural reflex. And what makes bungee jumping terrifying is, one, the ground is a lot closer. 
And two, there's just nothing to hold on to. It's just a really tight rope around your ankles. And that's it. I'd, li I'd like to think most people listening knew what bungee jumping was, but you have explained in more detail. So in summary, viewers, jumping out of a plane, not as scary as bungee jumping. As a man that will do neither in his life, will take his <laughs> word for it. We'll see you next week. Yeah. Double P, sorry. Honestly.